shall we pray? Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of this hour study is the Mark of the Beast principle. And I would like you to notice seven great Bible facts. The first of which is we are living in the days when there will be a great religious pressure brought upon humanity. And this is found in Revelation, the 13th chapter, verses 13 to 17. It says that this power will seek to pressure people to such an extent that they can neither buy nor sell except they have the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Number two revolves around the word warning. In Revelation, the 14th chapter, verses 9 to 12, there is a blistering warning from the Lord against those who conform to this mark of the beast principle and all that it stands for. The third point revolves around the word love. The service of God must be a service of love, for 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. He will not accept any other service. No matter how it is performed, no matter what process we pass through, unless it is motivated by love, it is unacceptable to the Lord. The fourth point revolves around the words, like him. And our text of scripture is 1 John 3, 1 to 3. It says, when Jesus comes again, we shall be like him. Think of the character that God's children will have who are ready to meet Jesus Christ. Now, that brings us immediately to point five. And this point revolves around the word choice. Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, let, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, in order for us to develop a character like Jesus Christ, God does not apply pressure. He comes to us and he said, look, would you let me in? Will you let me have control of your life? Unless you freely let me in, I cannot do it. This is a thought brought to view. We come to point six now. And it revolves around the words, Christ's methods. And the text is Luke chapter 2, verse 46. It is the story of Jesus while he was only 12 years of age. You may recall that his parents had left him in Jerusalem thinking that he was in the crowd. After they had traveled quite a distance from Jerusalem, they started hunting for Jesus and searching and they couldn't find him. So they made the trip back to Jerusalem and finally learned that he was in the temple. Back in the temple they found him sitting there before the great leaders of the nation. And it tells us in verse 46 that he was listening and he was asking them questions. Now the way to instruct an individual is to have him ask of us. Jesus picked up this marvelous art at the age of 12 years. There he was, a 12-year-old boy, asking these great leaders questions, leading questions to be sure, questions that drew on their intellect and caused them to think. In turn, 
they recognized that he had some tremendous light for them. So they posed as individuals who are tutoring him, testing him, and they ask him questions. Why did they ask him questions? Because he had asked them questions. This is part of the golden rule. Jesus said, all things that you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. If I want people to ask me questions, let me ask them questions. If I would like people to respect my religious views, let me respect their religious views. If I want people to believe in my sincerity, let me believe in their sincerity and leave to the judge of the whole universe the final verdict, you see. So Jesus' method is to instruct people, you don't force instruction on an unready and unreceptive mind. And that brings us to point seven. And point seven revolves around the words true education. And it sums up the first six. And I draw on the wonderful statements from my favorite author for this, because my favorite author had studied very much into the life of Christ and the text of scripture that undergirded the, the life that he lived and revealed the principles by which he would have us abide. Here are the words, education, page 41. I quote, true education is not forcing instruction on an unready and unreceptive mind. My friends, this is diametrically opposed to the pressure method that is going to be brought to bear on the religious world in the days just ahead of us, according to points one and two, which we presented just a few moments ago. I would like to share with you a few examples of how the pressure method will work in a counterproductive way and how Christ's love method works. My wife and I were driving from uh, Daytona, Florida, to St. Augustine several years ago, and we did what we don't often do. We picked up a hitchhiker. The reason why we picked him up was he was very well-dressed, and he looked like a reputable individual. So as we opened the door and welcomed him in, we at once engaged him in conversation, a pleasant conversation. Instead of uh, our deciding that we would uh, instruct him, which so many of our dear people think we have to do, we decided we would use Christ's methods. We would ask him questions. We would take an interest in him as an individual. It came out that he was dabbling in hypnotism. In fact, he had considered hypnotism as a science. Well, those of you who know, us Sabbath keepers know that we have done quite a bit of research into the subject of hypnotism, and we do not believe in one mind controlling another. We do not this, believe this fits into the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not believe it fits into the methods of Jesus Christ, and we believe that hypnotism, therefore, is not of God. And when he began to share with us how he had dealt in hypnotism, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to instruct him right away. I wanted to say, brother, you're on dangerous ground. But having learned something of Christ's methods that do not impose instruction on an individual who hasn't even asked, I was able to restrain myself and listen attentively. As the man continued his his relating of his experience in hypnotism, 
I could see that he truly was a very sincere individual. He was also a very intellectual individual. But as he continued his little experience, he said, but I have decided that the, uh, the science of hypnotism is too deep for me. He said, I find that I can, I can bring the mind of uh, an individual out into the woods, as he called it. But he said, I do not have the, the, the ability to bring him back home again. So he said, I've decided to drop all interest in hypnotism. Again, again, you know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say, brother, it's about time that you learn that. And I thought, that isn't Christ's method. He neither belittles, neither does he impose education and instruction on an individual who hasn't asked. So instead of my saying, brother, I'm so glad that you finally learned, very calmly I said, well, you know, I agree with you. I think, I think you're very wise. This way, I was agreeing with that which he had already learned instead of imposing additional instruction on him. Having asked him several questions and having learned something concerning his past and his life's experience, I was pleased to find that what happened to Jesus in the temple happened to us. As he asked them questions, they in turn came back and asked him questions. Right away he said, uh, and uh, what line of work are you engaged in? I said, well, I'm a minister of the gospel. Oh, he said, may I ask you some questions? I said, I would be delighted. He said, over in the book of Daniel, it speaks of the king of the north. Could you shed some light on the king of the north? You know, there was no question that he could have asked me that I would rather he wouldn't have asked. So I turned and I said, well, friend, to be perfectly frank, I have studied what the Bible says about the king of the north in the book of Daniel. But to be real honest, I can't say that I fully understand this subject. Let me interrupt myself, friends, by saying this. None of us need to feel that anybody is going to belittle us for frankly admitting what we don't understand. The man's respect grew instead of decreasing. Well, he said, I have another question. Would you happen to know anything about the mark of the beast as it is brought to view in the book of Revelation? <laughs> and I thought to myself, do I know something about it? But I tried to restrain myself. And I said, well, yes, I have done considerable research into the beast of Revelation chapter 13 verses 13 to 17 and the mark of the beast and the number of his name and the 666 concerning which you have inquired and I realized as I was speaking that we were probably we only had maybe 10 12 minutes left before we would arrive to where this man would be getting off so I said my friend uh, the mark of the beast principle is a principle of pressure, religious pressure, because the Lord tells us that those who engage in this mark of the beast pressure will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So it is a religious principle diametrically opposed to all the principles of love found in the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ, in fact, throughout the Bible. And I said, as I have studied into it, 
I have learned that it has to do in its final climaxing process with the keeping of a day. I said, uh, and so you will be interested to watch and see the laws of our land. And as you see the laws of our land, endeavoring to force an individual to keep a certain day of the week, rather than the day that he perhaps keeps according to his own conscience, you will see this mark of the beast principle coming into full play and final development. I said it matters not which day the laws of our land high pressure us to keep. That isn't the question. Man has no right to force his fellow man in any religious activity. It is the mark of the beast principle. And uh, I had talked maybe 11 minutes or so. And he said, pardon me. He said, just up here at the next road is where I get off. And so we, we stopped at the road. And as he was getting out, he paused a couple seconds. He said, I would just like to thank you, sir, very, very much for the instruction that you've shared with me, the information. He said, I have learned more in this little trip with you about the Bible than I have previously known in my entire lifetime. And I thought to myself, you know, thank the good Lord, I didn't overfeed him with instruction. He asked only for a sandwich. I didn't give him a seven-course meal. Many Christians feel that when a man asks for a spiritual sandwich, a Bible sandwich of instruction, they feel that it is their duty to, to give him a seven-course meal. And they justify it by saying, I might never see him again, so I better well feed him. They don't stop to realize if they do overfeed him, they never will see him again if he can help it. Always keep the appetite sharp. Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. So I have endeavored in my ministry for many years not to overfeed people. Wait till they ask. Do things by which they will ask by, by actually respecting their sincerity. I believe in the sincerity of every individual with whom I come in contact. If he's not insincere, if he's not sincere, that's between him and the judge of all the universe. I would rather think of a hundred persons as sincere, even though one is insincere, than for me to think of the hundred as insincere, and one of them is sincere, and I'll have to face the judge of all the universe someday. I was so happy to think that the Lord had kept me from practicing one of the Mark of the Beast principles on this very gentleman. I didn't impose instruction. I did the things to cause him to ask, and when he did ask, I kept his appetites sharp through the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let me share with you another experience. It happened up in British Columbia. We were beginning a series of meetings in a certain city, and uh, maybe only one or two days had passed in the series. And we stepped over to the church day school. There was a teacher there, a very dedicated, consecrated, conscientious lady. 
and she she uh, she stepped up to us and she said sirs i wonder if you do me a favor she said as you know my daughter is a member of the sabbath keeping family she said but her husband is not i wonder if you would be willing to go over and visit him she said but i want to caution you she said he he takes a very clever stance toward any of our ministers or any of our people who come to see him. He just enjoys putting anybody in the corner. He loves to argue. And if he can outdo you in argument, he feels a real deep relish. So I want to caution you before you see him. Well, as our habit is, Whenever we go to visit an individual in the home, we claim the promise of the Holy Spirit, Luke 11:13, because it is the Holy Spirit who opens the heart. The heart does not open by our human pressure. And we claim the promise of wisdom, James 1:5. Wisdom that we might not interpose on the human will. Only as this heart opens do we have the authority from God to share instruction. Otherwise, we ourselves are practicing one of the principles of the mark of the beast. We're pressuring a person to receive instruction when he hasn't even asked. He doesn't even want to know. Wouldn't it be a tragic thing for the very church that's preaching against the mark of the beast to be practicing one of his principles by imposing on the human will? So when we walked, drove over to this man's home, we rang the doorbell, he came to the door, and the pastor introduced himself and me, and the man said, come right in. And the pastor said, this is the guest speaker for our church. We're holding a series of meetings this week, and uh, Pastor Kuhn is speaking. And as we're sitting, the man said, well, he said, you know, I came very close to uniting with your church two years ago. And he said, I would have become a member of the church had it not been for one thing. He said, my wife and some of the other members of your church decided they were going to high pressure me into becoming a member of the church. And he said, I react against this kind of pressure. The moment he said that, I smiled broadly and I turned to the pastor and I said, pastor, this gentleman is a hundred percent right. He has the right to resist human pressure. And then I paused a moment. And I said, Pastor, do you know this gentleman would certainly be thrilled with what we're going to present tonight. We're going to present in the message tonight exactly the very principle he has presented. He would have been a member of our church family if some conscientious, over-enthusiastic soul had not employed the mark of the beast principle on him. And I said, brother, you would love what we're going to present tonight. And he said, I I'll come. Then for two hours straight, this man played us with questions, Bible questions. He did not appear to be clever. There was none of this smartiness. We saw nothing in his countenance or in his vocabulary or in anything that he said that indicated that he was trying to pressure us into the corner at all. 
no thought, no desire. We had a wonderful visit together. At the end of two full hours, he said, I have two more questions. <laughs> he said, one question is, how do you know that the seventh day is the true, that we call Saturday today, is the same seventh day of creation? And the second is, he said, how could a poor man earning only $40 a week and who has to work on Saturday, how in the world could he ever support a family on $40 a week? I said, brother, those are two excellent questions. I said, but as you can see, our time is up. We do have some other appointments, and we have to make those appointments. But I said, I'll tell you what, Thursday evening, if you want to stay after the meeting, we will take time and answer these questions at that time. Let me say parenthetically, friends, here this man had asked us questions for two hours straight. We had still kept him hungry for more information. And when he asked the last two questions, we felt in our mind he'd had enough. So as diplomatically as we could, we cut the conversation and, uh, as I said, made clear we'd be happy to see him that e uh, Thursday evening. That night, as I stepped onto the rostrum and into the pulpit, I saw this man and his wife walk in. They sat down, and as I started explaining that God's method, Christ's method, is not one of pressuring people, I saw this man turn to his wife and gave her a poke in her ribs. He must have poked her 10 or 15 times through my sermon that night. I knew what it meant. He was saying, see, you've been, you've been pressuring me for two years, and I saw her try to take on the stance of patience, of the persecuted. The next night he was there again, and I gave some more of the same doctrine of the love of Jesus Christ. Again, he must have poked her 20 times. I thought to myself, she must be black and blue by this time, but of course I didn't ask. Thursday night of that week, when he was supposed to have come to ask more questions, he came to the altar. He placed on the little prayer card, I would like to be baptized and become a member of the Sabbath-keeping church. My friends, the religion of Jesus Christ is not one of high-pressuring any individual. It accepts every soul as sincere, and it accepts every soul as having the right to choose how far he will go and how much instruction he will choose. If we go beyond that, we can be using the mark of the beast principle. Everywhere we go, we present some of these truths. But do you know, sad to say, there are hundreds of professing Christians who somehow cannot realize that they should stop trying to high pressure others telling them things to do when they've never asked. This is not part of the religion of Jesus Christ. This is the mark of the beast principle. I'm thinking of Melinda. <laughs> Melinda came to our home on her way from Florida up into the Middle West. Somehow she'd made quite a search to find a Seventh-day Adventist minister. She rang the doorbell. Are you a Seventh-day Adventist minister? I said, yes, I am. Oh, she said, I'm so happy. I said, come in. As she was seated, she said, I wonder if you can help me. Out in the car, I have two brothers and a sister-in-law. 
And she said, they're not very good Christians. And I wonder if you would help me to make them good like I am. <laughs> and I thought, aha, uh -huh. high pressuring and belittling. I said, let me give you a study first, would you like? I spent an hour on the study that we have just uh, had together. I said, so we don't high pressure anybody. We wait till they ask. She said, thank you so much. Could I come back tomorrow? I said, yes. She came back the next day and she said, thank you for that study yesterday. Now, I want to get right down to the point. Will you help me make my brother and sister and my, my two brothers and my sister-in-law become good like I am? And I thought, what was she thinking of yesterday? So I gave her another full study on the mark of the beast principle versus the seal of God principle. She said, this is wonderful. Could I see you tomorrow for a few moments? I said, yes. When she came the next morning, I thought, my, it'll be wonderful. She has learned a lesson. She said, I have come this morning to ask you to help me to make my brother and sister, my two brothers and my sister-in-law, to be good like I am. I thought, what in the world has happened? I gave her another study. Four days, this thing was repeated. The fifth day, she said, we're leaving. May I introduce my brothers and my sister? I said, yes. She brought them in. They were lovely people. She immediately started asking me leading questions, the answer to which would instruct her brothers and her sister-in-law when they hadn't asked. So every time she asked a question, I evaded it. I beat around the bush. Finally, she set her jaw. She said, sir, I'm going to ask you one more question, and I don't want you to beat around the bush anymore. If such and such a thing were the case, what would you do? And I thought, well, she's asked for it. So I weighed my words, and I took on a pleasant countenance. And I said, I'm not exactly sure what I would do, but I think that under these conditions, I would uh, mind my own business. The brother stood. The older brother led them out to the car. She stepped out with them. He came back quickly to the front door. He said, I want to give you $20. I said, no, I, I'm on salary. He said, I'll be offended if you don't take it. So as I reached out to take it, he said, Pastor, you've meant more to me than I can explain. We've had to live with that thing for 40 years. My friends, the final issue of Christendom is going to be a religious pressure brought to view that will force men's consciences. God gives a deep warning against it. He said, I only want those to serve me who love me. And to be like me, you must develop character based on choice. You must use Christ's methods, and that is the true way of giving the gospel. Friends, if you're tempted to be picky at your wife or husband, won't you ask God to forgive you? Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, we ask that we may find such security in Jesus Christ and your love that our obedience will spring from the love that we have for the Christ who died for us. May we not pick at each other anymore, but may we reveal the beauty of Jesus. You promised that you will work in us both the will and to do of your good pleasure. We ask believingly, we claim triumphantly in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.